It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. And each week we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We have a gambling segment and my favorite segment on the show where you can ask me a question on anything. And I do mean anything. I may not give you the answer you want, but I will give you an answer. I promise you. Rick, how are we today? I'm doing well. I took a uh, rough hit on Tuesday night of Maction, but bounced back last night. It was a, a good, good three game slate for me. And that was all after a big Saturday, which I know you had a good betting weekend as well. So I'm I, looking I, forward I to this weekend. Yeah, I did. I didn't have a very good Tuesday of Maction either. In fact, um, <laughs> I, I only had uh, a parlay and a teaser, and I think I went 0-3 in both. So it's a good thing I didn't take any of those straight up. Uh, it would have been worse. It just it was was one fell swoop hit on the three-teamer each way. So I'll take it. You're right. I could have had a little bit of a bounce back on Wednesday night as well. Could have been a lot better, a lot better had Northern Illinois covered, but they got destroyed. Yeah, it's always it's exciting after you come off a big week because you got a bigger bankroll, a little more to play with, and you're feeling yep. confident. you got to be hot to stay hot. But the issue, though, looking at this slate, there's just not a lot there. And you're getting like Ohio State, Maryland canceled because of COVID. Some of the games that I might have been interested in playing are now off the board. So, yeah, uh, uh, now, now you're down to Florida Atlantic and Florida International <laughs> on Friday night. Good hey, luck. hey, hey, we got UC East Carolina on Friday we do. night. Yeah, we do. A little primetime right. action. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our topics here to start this one. And. Skinny, let's go back to July of 2019. That's when the Reds traded Yasiel Puig and Scott Moss to the Indians and Taylor Trammell to the Padres as part of a three-team deal to land Trevor Bauer. Bauer struggled after he was acquired by the Reds, going 2-5 and five with a 639 ERA and 10 starts to finish off the 2019 season. However, he returned to form this year as he went 5-4 and four with an NL best 1.73 ERA and 11 starts while striking out 100 batters in 73 innings. On Wednesday, he was awarded for that as he was named the Cincinnati Reds' first ever Cy Young Award winner. Skinny, if Trevor Bauer signs with another team in free agency this offseason, how good of a deal was the 2019 trade to acquire him? I think it was a good one because it, it, it got you a guy that helped get you to the playoffs for the first time in, in, you know, a while and arguably pitched a game that they should have won in the playoffs. So um, I, I think that's, that's, that's great. It, perfect role would have been, you were able to resign him. He pitched his way probably in all likelihood out of the, out of the pricing market. It didn't help that there was no fans. You couldn't help that part of it, but yeah, I mean the, the guys that you dealt away, especially Taylor Trammell, because there was a lot of hand wringing among fans about he's a hot prospect. And if you looked at his minor league numbers, it was like, no, he's not. He's a hot prospect in name only. Um, yeah. I, 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 th I think the deal still was, a, was a good one for the Reds to make. I, I have no qualms with it whatsoever. Even, even though he's probably going to pitch somewhere else after this year. Yeah, both Moss and Trammell are still prospects at this point. And because there was no minor league baseball this year, we're kind of stuck on this. Like we don't have a completed answer yet because I guess theoretically both of those guys could turn into studs still. But mm. Trammell mm. really kind of fell off in 2019 after the Reds traded him. And he was already kind of shuffling along in the Reds organization over the last year plus as well. So um, definitely question marks around him. And then Moss, same way. I mean, just. It not hasn't hasn't set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination, and he didn't pitch at all this year, being in the minors. So, I, I guess there's still the possibility that those guys work out long term. 
But as of right now, it didn't feel like the Reds really gave up much. And oh, yeah, Yasiel Puig didn't even play this season. Right. Yeah, right. And, and like I go back to without Trevor Bauer, I know the record was only five and four, um, but he also pitched some big games when you needed him to pitch some big games. And the other stat lines, obviously, is what got him the, the, the Cy Young and rightfully so. Without Trevor Bauer, they don't make the playoffs. And, and then, you know, the game he pitched in the playoffs, I know that doesn't tie to the Cy Young because the voting was already done. They, they should win that game. And, and that's all uh, that's what we we're looking for this team to get back to doing right was get back to the playoffs. And not everybody was convinced it was going to be in 2020. Um, it was kind of more. All right, let's lay the foundation this year. And then next year. No, he, he got you to the playoffs this year. So uh, he did what, what you wanted him to do. And so I'm, I'm good with that trade, no matter how it pans out down the road. I think we'll both agree that the award's legit. I mean, he definitely earned yeah. it. He was the best pitcher in baseball this year. Does it take anything away that it's in this weird kind of asterisk year? No, because everybody had the same chance to put up the same numbers, same stat lines, all of that. Um, you know, I know for some hitters, you could argue another hundred games, and and maybe they would have played more to the back of their baseball card. But uh, no, I, I I think you know if you play sixty games, and that's that's what everybody equally can play, and you make eleven or twelve starts, which is what everybody equally did. Uh, let the best man win. So no, I I I know we asked this question before the thing started. I mean, MVP's an MVP for this season. Cy Young's the Cy Young. The World Series winner is the World Series winner, and I I have no qualms with that. I think it also adds a little bit to the way that Bauer did it. It's not like the Reds were protecting him uh, in the way that the Rays protect their pitchers and take him out after four or five innings. I mean, he led the NL by pitching two complete seven inning know, games, which which <laughs> is hilarious. Which is hilarious that he led the NL with two complete games, but he did. But he did. Um, but and you know he took the ball on short rest there at the. I mean, he, he took it at every opportunity and showed up in all the big games. So it yep. wasn't like he was just a uh, a stat guy where the Reds had kind of protected him and, and things fell his way. Uh, it was I mean, it was a fun season. I think the Cy Young is one of my favorite individual awards in all of sports. It's just it's just a cool award. It, being the most dominant pitcher, having that guy on your team, it's fun to watch. It's a cool thing to have. Um, unfortunately, it didn't get the Reds anything more than an appearance in, in the, the wild card round of the postseason. But I still think, you know, if you, if you had to rewind and do that deal over again, I think I'd go ahead and make the same trade all over again, 10 out of 10 in times. A in a heartbeat. And you just, it's just unfortunate that you didn't have fans to, to put money in the coffers to maybe make you competitive when it came to trying to sign Trevor Bauer. And that's the disappointing part. Yeah. Do you feel like there's no chance at, at this point for them to get him? Uh, I wouldn't say no chance, but I got a feeling it's got to be minimal unless somehow he takes a one year, 25, 27 mil. And you say, you know what, for one more year, let's go ahead. Let's go back all in maybe. And maybe that happens. I, you know, uh, obviously he turned down the 18 mil qualifying offer and I don't blame him for that. I don't think anybody does. And um, you know, that, that's kind of procedural, but I, I think it's gonna be very hard, especially when you didn't have fans this year. And we still don't know when or if we'll have fans and at what capacity level in, in 2021. I haven't been keeping up with it, but I happened to check out one of his offseason vlogs the other night um, where he was remodeling a big warehouse that he purchased out in Arizona to make his training facility. And one of the interesting things that I found kind of funny is, you know, as he's going around like on an airplane filming himself and he's going out to a restaurant and, and kids are coming up and asking if they can take selfies with him and stuff. Older people ask him, you know, like, well, why are you filming? What are you doing? Why do those kids know you or whatever? And he goes, oh, I'm a YouTuber. Every time oh, he just awesome. answers, I'm a that's, YouTuber. That's awesome. I, I, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it that's is pretty, pretty funny. funny. And people always kind of like, oh, okay. And just look at him strangely. And it's like, it, it's literally the guy who's got to win a Cy Young tomorrow, lady. That's who it is. Yeah, that, that's who it is. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, switching gears to football side of things, the Bengals on Wednesday announced they acquired defensive end Tack McKinley on waivers from the Atlanta Falcons. The six foot two, 265 pound McKinley is a fourth year player out of UCLA. He originally was a first round draft pick of the Falcons in 2017. He has played in 49 career games and has 76 tackles, 17 and a half sacks, two passes defense, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. The Falcons waived him on Tuesday after he put the team on blast for not trading him at the deadline. His tweet read, quote, these Atlanta Falcons turned down a second round draft pick when I requested to get traded last year. The same Atlanta Falcons turned down a fifth and sixth round draft pick from multiple teams when I requested to get traded this year. I only have 17 and a half career sacks, three clown emojis. Skinny, what do you think of the Bengals signing Tack McKinley? Yeah, I want to go to that because that, that, that question came up with John Ross, too, of why didn't the Bengals try to get something? And we talked about that. And, and there, there is the hope um, because Tack McKinley's in that same draft class as John Ross, which now sounds like a really good draft class. I mean, two basically first round semi bus. Um, but I would that get, are disgruntled. Yeah, they're just, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the hope is, you know, if they leave as a free agent, you get the chance for some compensatory out of that, maybe. And, and I think that's why teams say, listen, if this guy goes and is even serviceable we're getting a, a, a six round pick anyway if he's really good we got a chance to get a third round pick and so yeah last year could they have blown it by not taking a second rounder for him probably this year at the deadline for some of these guys if you're getting offered a seventh for john ross you just say you know what if he goes and has any level of success we're getting that back in compensation and and we still think that he can be a productive member of our team if we need him to be i think for tack mckinley that you know the, the marriage obviously came to a to a grinding halt and, and they had to let him go. As far as the signing goes, got no problem with it. Kind of like I said, if John Ross had been cut free or traded or whatever, I think it's worth kicking the tires on a, on a first-round draft pick from just a few years ago. Yeah, you can argue that you've seen lack of production. You've seen lack of effort. You've seen lack of consistency and all of those things. But, I mean, while 17 and a half sacks is not a ton, it's still probably as good a pass rusher as they've got on this team, including Carl Lawson, for goodness sakes, at this point. So, yeah, I, I think it's fine to kick the tires on it. If you if he's, let's say, the last seven games because he can't play in the Pittsburgh game because of because uh, of COVID protocols, he's not eligible to play. But if he's, you know, let's just say the last seven games, he gets you five sacks and, and um, doesn't price himself out on free agency. Uh, yeah, maybe you, maybe you bring him back. And if not, okay, for the down the stretch of this season, you, you've got a fairly productive pass rusher at a decent cost. So if so, if the Bengals would have gotten a second round draft pick offer for John Ross at last year's trade deadline, do you think they make that deal? Uh, I, I think it's it's more probable. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess there wasn't anything like that. But yeah, right. I agree. I, I would agree with you. I don't think anyone was willing to offer the Bengals that. But I find and it. John, and, and, and John was hurt at the time. Basically, he was coming off that that injury on in game yeah. four. Um, now he was coming back. But yeah, he was he was a little bit of damaged goods at that point as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I guess I was thinking more like, you know, sort of hypothetical because my, my point being here is that the Falcons had the opportunity to get out from under this guy last year for a second round pick, which I think when you have decided a guy is a bust and he's not going to be productive for you, if you can get a second round pick back for him, in most cases, you're going to do that. So they kind of tell now the Falcons front office isn't the best by any stretch of the imagination. So maybe they just completely booted it like he's suggesting here, but it does make me think that they felt he at least had some potential that they wanted to hang on and try one more go with them for the rest of last year and, and no the season. And it, clearly things haven't worked out, but this, you know, this gives me a little hope that maybe this is a guy with some talent who it doesn't like his coaching staff or whatever, and just needs a change of scenery. And maybe there's still some upside here. 
Yeah, right. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in that regard. Um, I, and I think for the Falcons, they still thought, even when things went a little south last year, that some of it was injury-related, that they still had a roster that could win this year. Dan Quinn was on the hot seat coming into the year anyway. So I'm going to guess they were – so was Thomas Dimitrov, the GM. And I'm going to guess they thought, Let, let's at least try to keep the pieces together and hope they produce, including Tack McKinley. And then things went south and Dan Quinn got fired, and, and here we are with, with, with Tack McKinley. So I, I get them maybe not making that deal last year at the deadline, and I also understand them maybe not making the deal this year at the deadline either. Yeah, I'm not expecting much from him, but at the same same time, the Bengals don't really have much of anything in terms of pass rushing right now. So, I mean, I think this guy has a legitimate chance to get in the mix, but we'll see. You know, I mean, it's kind of a scrap heap signing right here. I, I will say, I mean, if you can put a third down pass rush group out there, and, and I'm hoping he's healthier because he's just been absolutely completely unproductive. But you get Sam Hubbard back, and he's he was playing sometimes inside in, in nickel situations. You get Sam Hubbard and, and Geno inside and Carl Lawson and Tack McKinley outside in third downs. I like my chances of getting home better than what you got right now with Amani Bledsoe and Christian Covington and those guys. And uh, Well, and you're so, certainly yeah, more think, athletic yeah, than where you started this yes, season, too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always good with kicking the tires on a guy when it's not going to cost you much in, in, in money. And you got out from under Carlos, too. So, you had a little bit of money still left. I, I'm, I'm more than good with this. All right, coming off the bye week, the two five and one Bengals will take on the eight and zero Pittsburgh Steelers Sunday afternoon. Last time we saw the Bengals, they took down the Titans thirty one twenty for their second win of the year. Meanwhile, the Steelers struggled to squeak past the struggling Cowboys this past week twenty four nineteen. Skinny, how good of a measuring stick is this for the Bengals to see how far they've come this season? I think it's a perfect measuring stick, and that's why I know I know people are going to hate hate when I say this. I want Ben Roethlisberger to play, and it's still not even going to be a hundred percent Ben Roethlisberger, even if he does play, um, and probably not even a sharp one because he didn't get much. He, he wouldn't have gotten any practice reps in. But I, I want them to play the Steelers at as full strength as possible because I want to see how much progress this team has made. I'm not convinced Tennessee's a great football team. I know they're six and two. I get all that, and and you know they're playing. Obviously, we're doing this on a Thursday morning. They're playing tonight against the the Colts. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not all, as overly giddy of the, of, of the win over Tennessee as some, I look, it, it was a win and this team needed a win. It needed to at least start feeling better about itself and showing the progress that they keep telling us they're making. But if you want to show me some real progress, at least have a much better showing against Pittsburgh than you did against Baltimore. And if you really want to show that you're making some significant progress, go beat him and go beat him. Not with Mason Rudolph, go beat him with Ben Roethlisberger. You know, obviously the Bengals play well, and this is a very competitive game or they they somehow find a way to win it. That's going to be impressive, and we'll say all types of positive things about how far they've no come. No question. At the same time, I don't know if the Bengals getting smacked by the best team in football this year, for me, will be the best measuring stick. Like, I mean, if it looks similar to the Ravens game, I'm not going to be all that surprised, to be honest with you. Like, I like to think Joe Burrow has... Be, I, I'd be disappointed in that. I, I you know, I, I hear... Hey, we're playing a lot better since Baltimore. Okay, yeah, you are. Yeah, that's that's nice, but they all played Baltimore. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that would be my thing. There's also a different talent level between what Baltimore has and what some of these other teams the Bengals have been playing recently have, and and I do think they are playing better. I think more than anything, Joe Burrow has improved since the Ravens game. So I don't think you know he's going to be caught off guard in some of the ways he was against the Ravens. But it still wouldn't surprise me if this game is you know multiple touchdowns in terms of the, yeah, see, the I, I'd be disappointed in that. I, I really would be, I'd be extraordinarily disappointed in that. And then I'm telling you, it puts a lot of pressure on those next four games. It puts a ton of pressure on those next four games. Cause if you get smacked around, you better come out of those next four games, three and one, or suddenly we got an issue. Is the Cowboys game a sign of hope at all for the Bengals in your opinion? I'm, I'm talking about the Steelers Cowboys game this past week. 
No, I, I think that's the typical NFL. You just have a letdown and nobody yep. can explain it. Um, it's not tangible. It's always intangible. Um, and, and they still, you know, despite that, despite not playing well, despite not running it very well, which was surprising, despite Ben basically being immobile the whole second half because of the knee, they still found a way to win. So no, it, no, it, it did nothing for me other than I, you see that every week in the NFL, how in the world did that team either beat them or stay close to them? You just can't explain. I mean, you can't like Tampa Bay, New Orleans. I can explain New Orleans winning. I can't explain New Orleans winning like that. Yeah. Just a ridiculous game. All right, let's drop down a level from the NFL to college football. Notre Dame solidified itself as one of the top four teams in college football for now with its thrilling 47-40 overtime win over Clemson on Saturday. The first college football playoff rankings for the 2020 season won't be released until Tuesday, November 24th, but every projection I can find, including the AP and coaches polls, have Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson in some order as the top four teams. Skinny, my question for you is, which is the best team outside the top four, in your opinion? Uh, Cincinnati. Really? I mean that sincerely. I do. I mean that sincerely. Um, so you have uh, them over Florida and Texas A&M? Yes. Texas A&M had a, had a bite at the apple with Alabama and got kicked in the teeth. And look, it's, not, it's no embarrassment to get kicked in the teeth by Alabama, but it also shows me that you're not even close to Alabama. So you, you get tossed out. Some of their other wins, Vanderbilt by five points. Uh, Arkansas, and it's an improving Arkansas, but Arkansas by 11 points. Awful Mississippi State by a couple touchdowns. They came back from, I believe, it was double-digit deficit to beat Florida. Now, they did beat Florida, so I got to give them some credit for that. But, I mean, 52-24 to Alabama sticks out like a sore thumb to me that you're not even close. And for Florida, they just struggle defensively. I just don't think that they, they're a complete package. Offensively, they're really good. They're, they're kind of like Ohio State. They're going to hang 40 on just about anybody. Um, I, I honestly think, though, they'll struggle with Kentucky in a couple weeks, to be quite frank. I think they'll beat them because Kentucky won't have enough offense, but I think Kentucky will also slow them down some. But I do. I think there's a, line of, a clear line of demarcation if you're talking about the top four teams being the ones you talk about. Then the next team for me is Cincinnati. They've done nothing, nothing to, to make you blink and go, yeah, but they're just a little American athlete. No, they're kicking everybody's teeth in the American Athletic Conference and some good teams. SMU's pretty darn good. Um, Memphis is pretty darn good. And they didn't just beat them, they hammered them. And so that's where, you know, I know people will say, well, you know, if UC gets in as the four seed, they're going to get hammered by Alabama. Maybe. I know this. I've seen Texas AM already get hammered by Alabama. And if it becomes Florida and Alabama in the SEC championship game, chances are pretty darn good. Alabama wins and that eliminates Florida. So to me, you know, for Cincinnati, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that somewhere along the way, Notre Dame can maybe lose at North Carolina or if Clemson Notre Dame rematches that obviously Notre Dame beats Clemson. I think the unfortunate part is I think right now it's those four. I think the other unfortunate part too is this, and this is where I'm going to get mad is Texas A&M. Um, has the following teams left. Now, they had their game with Tennessee postponed this week, but then they have Ole Miss, LSU, and at Auburn. And certainly at Auburn is a losable game if they lose, they're out. But if Texas A&M wins out, and I'm assuming that Tennessee game will get rescheduled to the end, that the, the 12th, um, and probably beats Tennessee, they're going to finish 9-1 and one and not have to play in the SEC championship game. If they get in by default because people say they're one losses to Alabama and it's over an undefeated UC team, that will be ridiculous. That will be absolutely ridiculous. And I go back to... I just don't understand how in this goofy year where now the SEC is going to be a mess because you got a bunch of games canceled this week. There's the potential because of quarantine rules that you'll have some of those teams not be able to play again next week. Why not just go to eight freaking teams? It's not that hard. Each of the major conferences, the five, the power five, they each get one. 
That includes the Pac-12 and then three at-larges. And that way a Cincinnati is not bypassed and maybe not a BYU getting bypassed. I just don't know why in this goofy year you can't just adjust. It doesn't mean you have to stay with it for forever. I wish you would, but why can't you adjust this year? It's ridiculous. I'm telling you, one loss A&M gets in, I may not even watch. It'll piss me off that much. <laughs> I, I love I love you coming strong there at the end. But I, I actually agree with you for the most part here. I don't know that I believe UC is the fifth best team. Right now, I think, based off the eye test, I know people are going to say, well, Texas A&M beat them. But to me, Florida would be that team uh, from what I've seen. I, I just Man, think they can't stop anybody. Their defense is suspect. There's no question about it. But UC's offense, to me, is kind of suspect if we're talking about them going up against an SEC team. You know, I mean, I, I want to see what Desmond Ritter does passing the football if they're playing a Georgia or a Florida. You know, that that now Florida's defense stinks, but it's still not the same as playing SMU or Houston's defense. You know, I no, mean, I, I, there's another level of athlete that. there. Yeah, and I will say this. I mean, if, if it becomes down to, to Florida winning the East and Alabama in the SEC title game, I think it becomes a moot point anyway because I think Alabama beats Florida. I, so I, I really do. I think that becomes a moot point. Yeah, I do too. And I mean, to be quite honest, UC kind of got the worst case scenario here with Notre Dame winning that game no doubt. in a total no shootout in overtime yep. without Trevor Lawrence being on the field because yep. now it's very easy to say, okay, well, that game doesn't quite count for Clemson. They did everything they could have possibly done without Trevor Lawrence, even though his backup played very well and it was more so the defense that struggled. Yeah, right. It doesn't and, matter. And, it doesn't matter. That's not what right. the storyline is going to be. No, I'm with you. Storyline is going to be that Clemson did everything they could. They are still clearly in the college football playoff. Plus, everyone wants Clemson in. They want Trevor Lawrence to be in in terms of the money it's going to bring, all that stuff. So Clemson is always going to get the benefit of the doubt in this situation. And they, they probably should in this scenario. But Notre Dame getting that win, and you know what's going to happen. Notre Dame's going to win the ACC. They play each other in the championship. Clemson beats them in the championship. So both by of them. Touch, by, by a touchdown, right? So it's, so it's a wash. Right. And, and both of them get in. And then Notre Dame, or I mean, uh, Ohio State, in Alabama are right. also in and UC never really gets that chance which I, I, I can live with that more than I can live with a one loss Texas A&M getting in yeah unfortunately I think that's right it just it does stink for the smaller conferences that this is just kind of a self-perpetuating system I mean it's you know, it's, it's a cycle. It's never going to really change. You're, you're, you're always going to kind of be shut out for these exact reasons. And that's why you do need to go to eight quite honestly. And even then you're still going to get screwed in a lot of cases, but at least you'll have that shot when you have this crazy good team like UC has this year. And, you know, I mean, the pandemic makes it even crappier for them because they didn't even get the, the non-conference, the, the non a AC games to prove themselves and show them like not that Nebraska is a great team, but still going on the road and beating a Big Ten team early in the season would have helped UC's resume and just I mean, the it, national it, it, who knows? Maybe they beat Nebraska 49-13 and, and you look up and you go, well, you know, they beat Nebraska as bad as Ohio State beat Nebraska. And that's never the perfect comparison, but at least it gives you a little measuring stick, right? Right. And I think you're right. And you little. miss that opportunity. Yeah, you miss that opportunity. Yeah, so it just, it just it stinks for UC, no question. I don't think I have them as the the fifth best team, but I think there's a clear separation between the four teams at the top and then that next group. I think UC's in the group with Texas A&M, Florida, and you know themselves until proven otherwise. Maybe throw BYU in there as well. Yeah, I no, I, I UC passes the eyeball test to me, that, and and that's never a tangible, and that's the hard part. There's nothing tangible about this, and that's the disappointing part. One last topic before we get to our betting segment, this one in the basketball world, Wichita State and Greg Marshall are expected to part ways by the end of the week, according to multiple reports. Wichita what a ter- State, 
Wichita State announced on October 9th it had commissioned an investigation into the conduct of Marshall after he was accused of abusing multiple former players at both Wichita State and Winthrop. These allegations included calling some players derogatory terms, abusing others with harsh words, and even punching former player Shaq Morris between his shoulders. What do you think becomes of Greg Marshall and also the Wichita State basketball program, Skinny? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that that despite all of this and despite, I mean, he, you you know, his reputation's always been horrible. His wife is a lush, um, you know, it, it's it, it's always been a bad scene around them. And yet they've somehow continued to get dudes and win a lot of games. That's the amazing part. And it always for a while, it was kind of a feel good story, right? Of, oh, look at little Wichita and what they're doing and getting a number one seed. And um, you, you kind of always knew, though, that, that there's that this guy's just a turd and he always has been. And, and so. Look, if and there's rumors that Thad Mata um, is is a is a candidate, and that they want him to start literally right away um, to to be the replacement, and maybe Thad's ready to come back into coaching. I think if he takes that gig, I don't think they miss much of a beat. You know, he's still kind of in his Midwestern roots, recruiting wise, and um, I think Thad's always been able to get dudes, and he's a really good coach, and he proved it at two different stops, three different stops, really. Um, so, yeah, I don't think anything's going to happen to Wichita State's program because Greg Marshall's out. You just lose a turd, and he and his wife can go booze it up somewhere and have a good time. I tell you what, though, this is a tough spot right now for this to happen to Wichita State because they are in a little bit of a rebuilding place. He did lose a bunch of guys through transfer. He lost, like, seven, I think seven guys transferred out. Yeah, right? and, th- you know, and this obviously isn't going to help in terms of where they're at recruiting and trying to bring new guys in. So this is a bad spot for them, and the fact that they are in the AAC – you know, they've always been at, the, at a mid-major level, but it's it's not easy to just all of a sudden flip that around. And if you lose your your cachet or your juice, it, it might not come back to you in the AAC yeah, necessarily at Wichita be, State. Th- yeah, Thad Mata's would be a pretty good hire though, right? It could be. And I think Thad Mata's a good coach, but I, I do have some concerns still about his recruiting and where that'll be because the reason he got out of college basketball is all the negative recruiting that was used against him due to his health because of his health. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily going away now that he's three or four years older or whatever it is. So, you know, I, I would say that's probably the safest hire for Wichita state for this year and next year, it's going to keep them in the best spot in terms of being competitive for right now. I would have a little bit of concern about the long-term upside of that hire in, in terms of your recruiting and how much longer Thad Mata will be coaching in general. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough spot for Wichita state right now to lose him like this, but real quick, I do want to point out one thing that is going to be unpopular and I'm sure you won't like hearing it either, but to me, this Greg Marshall situation, people ask, how does, how does this happen? How does a guy get to this point and how does it go this far without somebody calling him out or stopping him or speaking up or what have you? And for one thing, I think it's clear to point out that Greg Marshall seems to be a bit of a crazy person who is crossing the line and, and doing more than just being a hard ass coach, obviously. But at the same time, this is why I think it's dumb when we have Tom Izzo running out on the court, balling up his fist like he's about to punch one of his freshmen last year, and everybody freaks out to defend it and be like, you've never played at a high level if you think that's bad, and you got to let kids be coached and all that. Look, I'm fine with kids being coached hard. I'm fine with you yelling at them. I'm fine with cussing and all that. But this is, this is why like, it's kind of weird to me when you see coaches balling up their fist and posturing like they're you know being physically aggressive 
towards their players. And we all accept that as, oh, that's just tough coaching. That's just a great coach. You've never been coached hard. You don't know what it's like. To me, it's just weird. Like you don't see NBA coaches doing that type of stuff. You know why? Because their players are millionaires too. And they're on the same level and there's some respect there. And I get it. They're adults. So it's a little bit different, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that a millionaire isn't going to let you ball up your fist and act like you're going to punch him in the face over a basketball game. And that's where I think like people need to tone it down a little bit on all this hard ass coaching stuff. It's, it's fine to coach hard, but we don't always have to defend coaches acting like maniacs on the sidelines. They can act like normal human beings and that's okay too. Yeah, no, it is. But, but I also think that, that I have no problem with Izzo so long as, as, as he's fair the other way with kids and, and from all intents and purposes, it sounds like he always has been. Um, And so, and so I'm good with that. The Greg Marshall incident sounds like he's just a complete bully on top of a bully on top of a bully. Right. They're different situations. I'm not trying to compare the two guys. I I completely understand Tom Izzo is universally loved and all his players will tell you, I love the way he coached me, but I think it's also fair to call him out on. He can be a great coach and do it right most of the time. But that time he went out after Aaron Henry to me was a bit much like you don't have to sprint out posturing the way some of these coaches do when they're acting like hard asses. You, you can yell at guys. That's fine. But like, the whole balling up your fist and puffing out your chest and getting in guys' faces like you're about to fight them, to me, it, it does cross a bit of a line. And when you wonder, how can it happen? How can we get to this point where no one calls it out? It's because we praise it nonstop in sports. Like, we, we uh, always it, are quick to, to rush to defend these people when they act like maniacs. And then we wonder, how did this guy get away with being a maniac for so long? Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a line to cross, and I think Bobby Knight probably crossed that at, at some point, right? I think there was that part of those those Quinn Buckner teams in the 70s that he coached hard, um, but but then probably when you got the taste of success, it made it even more and more difficult, and you you tolerated things less, and then eventually he crossed the line multiple times. I think that can happen too, and maybe for Izzo, maybe that was a coming-to-Jesus moment where he realized, you know what? I, that, I took that a step too far. Um, you know, and to be clear, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to single out issue uh, Izzo. It was just a a moment I remembered that happened recently. No, no, that I think I, was I, called I, out. No, you know, and and I, and I think that can happen. I think there is that fine line of coaching hard up to a point, and then, you know, I think like I said, if you go back to Bob Knight in the seventies, there wasn't a lot of complaints, and and he probably coached really hard and maybe even at times cross the line. And then it just keeps building and building and building to the point where then he's choking people. And yeah, then, then, then you're right. Um, and yeah, like I said, for Izzo, it could have just honestly been him going, you know what I did that. That was one step too far for me. I can coach hard and guys know behind the scenes at practice. I'm praising a lot of the things they do and, and I'll have their back for that. Uh, so yeah, and maybe it's lucky that he caught himself or, or somebody caught him before he did do something stupid or has done something stupid. And, and in Greg Marshall's case, nobody caught him uh, in time to do that. And it just, again, I think the pressure built and he crossed the line multiple times. And here we are at the point where he's going to lose his job. Greg Marshall is certainly a different story from what we're talking about in these isolated incidents. But my overall point is just like, we probably should praise all this hardo coaching stuff a little bit less because I think that's how you get to situations like Greg Marshall being tolerated for as long as they were. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's no question. I mean, punching a player. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah, that's a wild move, especially considering, you know, any player that he's had for the most part that I can think of probably going to whip his ass. So, for being yes. honest. Yes. Yes.
All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting segment where for the first time in a while, I made it over the Mendoza line. I was all right, uh, baby. Seven and five, as were you. I was uh, that brings me to 43, 56, and three on the year. And you are now 52, 46, and three. So, yeah, hopefully- and I, and I think, th- th- Rick, if you go back and look, I might have gone 0 and four in the Sunday night, Monday night games. So, I might have been seven and one going in. Uh, it looks like you were six and two. Okay. Six All right. Yeah. Okay. In, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So those, those two nights cost me badly. Yeah. Yeah. Neither. Well, we both struggled there. We were both actually six and two and we ended up seven and five. So there you we are go. right yep, about that. Uh, Miami got boat raced by Buffalo already on Tuesday. Shout out to love and honor and Jed Debussy. <laughs> Thank goodness we didn't pick that one because I was all over Miami. That was part of my Tuesday debacle. Yeah, me too. I, I did the same thing on the money line. So I, took I, I teased there. them up. It's funny. I teased them up to 14 and a half. I took them on the money line. I was all in, man. Yeah, Oops. we were Oops. riding the AJ Mayer train hot, but unfortunately his receivers can't catch and we didn't know no, that. So that's a problem. Uh, and then Ohio State and Maryland got canceled, as I mentioned earlier. So both those teams off the the card this week we start on thursday night as we always do with the nfl game 8 20 p.m you got colts at titans the colts are a one point favorite on the road the total is 48 and a half yeah this this line is vacillated in fact as i'm looking at as we speak but we're going to use the line you used it's down to a pick them i saw your line earlier i saw titans a couple of days ago so this line has gone open a titans favorite yeah so it's been all over the place but we'll go with your line which is colts one and a half and, and, and Colts one Colts one. Okay. Colts one. Yep. I, I think I'm taking Indy. I just am not a big believer in, in, uh, in this Titans team. I just, I don't think they're very dynamic offensively. And look, I, I, I know they held the bears to 17. I'm not so sure UC doesn't hold the bears to 17. That <laughs> offense is atrocious. Um, and, and really they kind of held on to win that game when they kind of dominated for a period of time. So yeah, I'm not a big believer. I, 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 I told uh, our, our, our boss, Mark Jusak, where we do a pick sheet, all of us in, in, a, in a league. And I said, I've been so bad in the NFL because I've been taking these lines where it looks so obvious that Tennessee is going to, to win because they're at home and they're six and two. I said, I'm going to have to ride the complete look at the line and go opposite way. And so I'm, I'm going Indy. I, I think they go on the road and get this win after I thought they played Baltimore pretty, pretty tough. I'm, you know, had a, had a kind of a bad break, maybe on the interception by Phillip rivers. I thought their defense played pretty well. Some of that is the Baltimore offense isn't, isn't very good right now, but I, I think Indy goes on the road and gets this win tonight. And, and uh, actually, so yeah, the total is what again? Uh, 48 and a half. Yeah. I think it goes, I think it goes way under. Uh, that's the play for me. I'm going to go Colts, Colts, 23 Titans, 19. I'm going to go with a weird score. All right. So you got the Colts and the, and the under. Under. So a chance for me to uh, at least gain a spot on you. I've, I like the Titans to win this one outright. I just think, uh, I don't love either one of these teams. I think you're right about the Titans, but I have just as many concerns about the Colts and Phillip Rivers. Is yeah, that's awful. fair. I hate betting on him. The Titans are at home. Being an underdog here, d- despite their record, to me feels, I don't know, it, it, weird. I'm going to go ahead and go with the Titans to win this one outright. 24-21, so I'm going Titans and the under as well. That brings us to Friday night, 7.30. UC playing primetime under the lights. East Carolina visits Nippert Stadium. The Bearcats are 27 and a half point favorites, the total 56. We've we've talked about UC being a little undervalued the last few weeks. This line all of a sudden looks like they're getting some respect from Vegas. 
Yeah, and, and honestly, if you look at some of ECU's games, they can score. They put up 28 on UCF, which isn't, you know, UCF's defense isn't great. Put up 44 on South Florida, put up 23 on Navy, 30 on a pretty good Tulsa team. So they, they can score a little bit. And this just feels like it's the classic trap game for UC. Team, you're going to, you know, you're coming off three wins where you just boat race three pretty good teams. Certainly the first two of the, the three, um, Houston maybe is an iffy. But, you know, you just came off a stretch of, of – you know, games that were supposed to be somewhat competitive and and you got another one coming up with UCF and you finally you finish on the road with three in a row. This just feels like the classic trap game spot, not trap game enough to where UC loses it or even is threatened to lose, but cla- trap game enough where UC slogs its way to, uh, I'm going to go Bearcats 30 to 13 win. I'm going to go UC or uh, ECU in the under. UC just, uh, I think at some point, maybe even puts the game in the deep freeze just to make sure you get to next week fully healthy. Um, again, they win comfortably. I just don't think they cover the big number of 27 and a half. In fact, I may reverse tease that down to 21 and a half at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is reasonable. All that that checks out. Uh, UC hasn't given up two touchdowns to anyone since the opening week against Austin. P. I, I, I know. And, and it just, just some weird thing happens in a game like this where you're like, you know, you fumble at the three or you turn it over or a kick return. It just, that's what happens in trap games. It just does. Yeah. And those touchdowns against Austin P of course, because it was a blowout, they had like third stringers in there late. Um, I, I think this is, you mentioned ECU's offense, their ability to score. I think this is the, the, finally the time where they give up that second touchdown, but I can't bet on ECU to cover this spread either. I don't like the fact that it's so big on UC side, but ECU basically thrives on slopping it up and making games chaotic. This UC team doesn't really feel like that's their thing. Like Luke fickle. Agreed. He'll just start running the ball if he has to, and maybe and that's keep my point. Yeah. And that's my point. That's why this just becomes a, a very safe, easy, non blowouty blowouty enough win. Yeah, but ECU can also like get bored in that, and all of a sudden you you go from grinding the clock out to running for four second half touchdowns on the ground yeah, because you popped a couple because their defense is just there, there terrible. is that. So uh, I like I'm just gonna bet on UC because I have way more confidence on them than ECU, even though this line kind of sucks. I I think what I'd really like to do is use it in a teaser, take UC at 21 and a half, and I'd feel much better about that. I'm gonna go UC 45, ECU 17. So that's UC and the over because ECU gets that second touchdown against UC this week. Right, and I'm on on ECU and the under, so we're totally opposite. That's right. Saturday at noon, we've got Vanderbilt at Kentucky. Wildcats are 17-point favorites. The total is 42. Skinny, what do you think? Do the Wildcats finally get on the right side here? Yeah, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of emotion. John Schlarman, the offensive line coach, the Highlands High School product, passed away on Thursday morning just before we did this podcast. The, the news came out, and um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of emotion. Um, I'm going to the game actually Saturday with with my family, and um, you know I'm sure there's going to be that moment of silence. I'm going to see. I'm going to guess you're going to see just some tributes for John, and I think the players will respond accordingly. You always hear that that get right game. Um, I, I think this is a get right game for Kentucky. I think it would have been, you know, no matter w- what took place outside of the football, but um, you know, Vandy's just bad uh, Kentucky's defense will dominate this game. It'll set them up in some short field scenarios. I think the offense needs to get right game. I think you'll see that I'm going to go Kentucky 41 seven. I think they just blow out Vandy. So that's UK and the over since you got it at 48, the total's yep. 42 there. Um, I, I like what you're saying about UK and, and them needing this one so bad. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and take them to cover the spread here. I think for what I'll actually do 
on, on a real card is use this as a teaser game. I think UK by two touchdowns, I feel great about. So you take 17 down to 11. Yeah, I feel yeah. really, really good about that. 17 with UK's offense. That concerns me a little bit. I'm going to say they squeak by that number. I'm going to go UK 28, Vanderbilt 10. So that's UK and the under for me. And that brings us to back to the NFL Sunday, 425. That's a 425 kickoff for the Bengals and Steelers. The Steelers are a seven-point favorite at home. The total is 45 in the hook. I mean, a lot of this depends on Ben, man. It does. And and I, I say that knowing that even if Ben plays, I just don't know how mobile he is and can they get after Ben and and and, and cause him a little disruption because he's not going to be very mobile because of the knee. Um, I'm going to take a flyer on the Bengals, not winning, even though I think there's an outside chance they can, Rick. I really do. Um, I'll go Steelers just because the Bengals have lost nine in a row and can't seem to beat the Steelers no matter what the scenario is. You remember last year, look, like they had him beat at home and the duck came off the bench and slung one down the, the field like he, played, like he was playing backyard football and they, the they scored a touchdown. The duck, the duck got him. Um, I'll go Steelers 23 20. Um, so I'm going to go. So that's the, that's the, uh, Bengals and what the under and the under. Yeah. 45 and a half was yeah. the total. So you got 43 there. Uh, <laughs> The duck. I can't believe that. I forgot all about him. Um, yeah, I, I can't take the Bengals to cover this number at seven, especially when it was seven and a half. I thought it was interesting because I totally could have seen them down by 14 with, you know, four minutes to go. Bro gets the ball back, leads them down on a quick touchdown march at the end of the game, and they lose by seven. That felt very realistic. But now the number's right on seven. I don't feel as good about it. I'm going to say the Steelers cover that. I'm going to go Steelers 35. Bengals 24. So that's Steelers and the over for me. Okay. That brings us to Sunday, 820. Ravens in New England playing the Patriots. The Ravens are a seven point favorite. The total is 43 in the hook. Boy, the Patriots are bad. They're just, really bad. They're, they're, man. they're, they're bad. And th- this number bothers me too, because I mean, you're going to give me the Patriots and a touchdown in their building. And I know That's, it's no fans. That, that feels so great. weird to take, but at the same it, it, time, they're so bad. Yeah, I, I just I, I think I think Monday was the last straw of knowing that's a bad football team that just barely beat a, a worse football team. Um, look, Ravens defense travels. It always has. It always will. I'm going to go Ravens in a, just an ugly slop fest. Twenty three thirteen. So the Ravens and the under for me. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at on this one. Our scores are pretty similar too. I'm saying Ravens 28, Patriots 14. And I don't, you know, that we've seen the Ravens, Lamar Jackson's been bottled up a little bit more recently and maybe he's, he's dinged up too. So he just hasn't been running as much in general, but I don't think it matters as much against this Patriots defense for one. I think they'll have success running football if they need to. And two, the, I don't think the Patriots can move the ball against the Ravens defense. So I think you have a low scoring game. It may be ugly, but I, I don't see the, the Ravens losing this one or the Patriots covering. And that brings us to Monday night, 815. You've got Minnesota at Chicago. The Vikings are a three point favorite on the road. 43 and a half is the total. Man, I like the way Minnesota's playing right now. Um, They're playing well. Uh, you know, I, I think they've hit, they've had good parts all along, got off to a sloppy, awful start. And now they're starting to roll Dalvin cook running it. And, and because he's running it, Kirk cousins is getting some play action stuff over the top of it. 
Um, their defense is playing pretty well. They're playing great complimentary football. Uh, I, I love Minnesota here. I, I think the Bears are terrible. I thought they've been bad all along. They, they, their offense is just atrocious. I think the Vikings go in there and get an easy win. I think they, they roll out with a – I'm going to go Vikings 27, Bears 13. So Vikings in the that, – that's that would be my play of the week, the Vikings. Um, I, you know, people probably come, come Tuesday are going to hate me for saying that when the Bears somehow eke out an ugly 12-9 to win or something. But I, I, I just think Minnesota's playing good football, and they got good players. I'm going the exact opposite of your pick in, in both cases on this, both the total and the winner. I agree with you that the Bears are bad. They're awful. I mean, they're, they're literally awful. I just, I'm going to take one more swing at them. They're home. They're desperate for a win. They're a home dog. I'm just going to say the Bears win this one outright 24-21. So I'm going Bears and the over here. And honestly, it's kind of me fading myself in a way because I look at this and I, I agree with what you said. I think the Vikings are the much better team, but I'm just going to go the opposite and, and hope I uh, pick up a win here because I've been struggling so bad anyway. So uh, the only thing I'll say is, and, and I think you probably know this number two, and I think you're seeing the lack of, of crowds um, because of COVID. I mean, home teams this year in the NFL are one game under 500. I mean, yeah. I, so I, and, and I, I've been guilty of looking at that home team and going, yeah, I realize there's no crowd, but they're at home. And I'm, I'm, I think the whole second half of this year, I'm going to look against that and just go, who do I think the better team is? There's no longer a home field built in advantage. And, and for me, I'm going to start looking in the opposite direction. That's where honestly Patriots getting seven at home is just silly, but you've also seen the lines adjust earlier in the season. Yeah, teams yeah, were getting a little bit of uh, uh, a favor for being at home. I think they've decreased that to I maybe there's right. almost nothing built in for maybe field not. advantage now. I, on the I, lines. That's, a good, that's a good call. And that's where I look at this Vikings, but like if the bears were a three point favorite, then it's like, Oh yeah, I don't feel good about that at all. But when you flip them and make them a three point dog, then it's, it feels a little bit different to me. So I, I don't know. Maybe I could be completely wrong. I think both of these teams aren't great. And I think the bears stink. But again, like I said, I'm basically fading myself here. So I don't know. I'll tell you, if the Vikings somehow get hot and get to the playoffs, I don't know if you want to play them. I think they got it. They got nice parts, man. Jefferson on the outside, uh, Cook running the football. You're Cook asking it. Kirk Cousins to do less. I mean, Cook hmm. is amazing. There's no doubt about that. They have the best running back in the NFL. And a lot of that starts up front. It's not just him being a great runner. They're dominated at the point of attack. So I think it all goes hand in hand for me. I, I, I just if they get to the playoffs, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't want to face them. All right, real quick, uh, before we do our, our picks of the week, we did get a question from, it was asking anything, uh, this coming in from Sarah, but this is the perfect time to ask it. Who is your master's pick for this weekend? Oh, I got a couple. Um, uh, I, I got John Rahm uh, to win. I've got uh, Matthew Wolf at 33 to one to win. Um, I took a flyer on a, on a 66 to one Kevin Kisner. That was probably a bad pick, but I love the odds. And then I got two top five picks that I love. I got Louis Oosthuizen at, at, uh, at nine to one. And I got Tony Finau. I believe I got him at, eh, I got one of them at 12 to one and one of them at nine to one. I think maybe Finau might've been nine to one top five. So those are, those are literally the ones I, I played. All right, there you go. And uh, give me your your bet that's off the card this week. What what uh, teaser parlay do you got going for us? Yeah, I always go to the NFL. And last week, uh, obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just corn fuzzled me. They 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 <laughs> they got me good. Corn I'm fuzzled te- you for sure. Yep, yep, they got me good. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a four team teaser. I always like the four teamers because you get a little more value with it. I probably am stupid for doing it. I'm gonna take the Colts up, so that would be the Colts up to. I'm gonna do a six and a half pointer here, so that'd be the Colts up to what five and a half. I'm gonna take the Bengals up to thirteen and a half. I'm gonna take. Hang on, I'm gonna take. I just had it. 
Oh, I'm going to take the Monday night game. I'm going to take the Wichmadingies. I'm going to take the, the Vikings. Uh, Vikings down to uh, that would be them getting three, uh, three and, and a half because I got yeah. the because I got the hook, and I'm going to take. I'm going to take the Saints down to two and a half at home against the 49ers. All right, there you go. So it's four team teaser. You got Colts down or up to five and a half, Bengals up to 13 and a half, Vikings up to three and a half, and the Saints down to two and a half. Uh, so that, that if you want to ride with Skinny there, NFL teaser. I'm going with a college three team teaser. I'm I, I like to cash them a little bit more. Now, you got to bet a little bit more up front, but I just yep, like yep. ensuring that I, I cash a few more of these. I like Miami plus eight. They are uh, plus one currently. I, I or I mean, plus two currently. I'm going to take them up to plus eight. And that's the Hurricanes, by the yeah, way. Yeah, the Hurricanes. Miami's already played. Yeah, I'm going to take Kentucky down to 11. As yeah, I, I like before. that one. And Miami, by the way, is playing Virginia Tech. I like that play as well. Virginia Tech is just, they can't stop anybody. Yeah, they just lost to Liberty. Uh, yeah, Liberty's good. Don't get me yeah, wrong, but, but they can't stop anybody. They gave up 60 something to North Carolina earlier this year. Yeah. And speaking of North Carolina, that is my final game. I rode them last week. I'm riding them again this week. You can take them down to seven and a half with that six point teaser. So that's Miami up to eight, Kentucky down to 11 and North Carolina down to seven and a half. Your three team teaser of the week. My uh, three teamer last week you it hit on two of them. So you, you could still cash the, just the third game was the army Navy game that got canceled. Right. I would have won because army would have blown them out. And that would have been a three teamer <laughs> that I would have won for you, but you can still get the uh, two team. That was a straight up parlay. No, no teaser. So a, a little bit of money, even on just those uh, two games that you won there. That's so. that's, that's hilarious. I, I, I like that though. You did cash. So I'll give you credit there. All yep. right. Yep. All right. T- on to our ask any, anything we'll do it a little bit rapid fire. Cause you got to head off to uh Bengals uh, zoom meetings here. Uh, we start with a question from our guy, Dave. He says, who is on your Mount Rushmore of TV game show hosts? Oh, I love this. Yeah. Obviously well, I, this with the, the passing with the passing of Alex Trebek. Yeah. So yeah, Alex Trebek is one of them. So there's one without a doubt with it, without question. Um, I got to go Bob Barker. Absolutely. Just just, and it, 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 the thing is, if people don't remember, a lot of people remember Bob Barker from uh, from um, Price is Right. Sure. But he did he did a show, another show that I watched growing up called Truth or Consequences that he was superb <laughs> in. Um, so he's Truth he's, or Consequences. No, it's great. It was a great show. Um, and, and he was the host. Of that. Like so I'll go him. You know, I'm going to go Monty Hall. Former okay. host, former host of uh, what's that goofy show? Let's make a deal. Yep. Um. And just because I love the show, I, I, I was going to say Alan Ludden from the original Password. I'm going to go Peter Marshall from Hollywood Squares. Okay. Who was the guy who used to kiss everybody? That's the- Richard Dawson from. Yeah. Uh, yeah Dawson, he's, 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 he's probably in the mix. Yeah. I'm uh, no Pat Sajak for you, huh? No, nah, I always thought he was a little cheesy. I, yeah, I he is cheesy, but I guess I guess it's kind of also your era. Like I saw Sajak and Barker and Trebek nonstop growing up. I mean, they just dominated. I didn't even have cable. So that's just like pretty much all you see. Right. Wheel right, of Fortune right, right. and Jeopardy right. and Price is Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those those three guys are on mine without question, just because those are kind of who I grew up with. You got a fourth? Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Drew Carey's fat ass. Okay, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. just I like Price is Right a lot. Big Price is Right. Game. Let's, I'd love to play some Plinko. <laughs> Plinko's a great game because you don't a, have to think. You just drop game. that thing down and hope. Yep. 
Yep. It's like playing slot machines. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dan says, what's the uh, funniest on camera live mic bloopers in, in memory of Tom Brenneman? <laughs> he didn't die. I don't know. Why I mean, memory. boom, boom, goes boom, goes the dynamite. Guy, so right? damn good. I mean, it's I mean, probably it's number the, one. It's, the, it's gotta be known because you, because there's a thing you're laughing at him, but you're also crying for him. Cause you just know he's just dying. He's just dying. And it's so sad to watch. But I mean, um, this guy can make his entire life off of that now. Like he's the, just the, the, the boom goes the dynamite guy now forever. The, 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 be, the best part of that whole thing is the, the very end where the two young female anchors go. Thanks. I can't even know what the guy's name is. He goes, yeah. Like I, I, I nailed it. <laughs> it's the, that's the best one. There's one with a CNN reporter. Um, this is years ago, I think covering a presidential uh, speech or debate or something or a, a press conference was had the mic on taking a leak and it picked, it picked him up taking, it might've been a female too taking a leak. That, that's a good one too. That's why whenever you put it, cause I, you know, when I come in and do, do TV and you've done it too, I usually put the, put the mic in my pot or the, the, the mic is, is clipped on, but then the, the recording device, whatever, lack of a better term, the, the transmitter in my pocket. And uh, I actually almost walked out of the station with one last Sunday. I was literally through the door and went, oh, gosh, I still have the mic. So sometimes you forget that you have the mic and it's on and who knows what people are hearing. So y- y- you got to be really careful with that. But those are those are the ones for me. I, did you see the one here? Uh, 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 my friend sent it to me. This was from I think it was MSNBC where the kid he, walking in texting. No, 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 no. Oh. This was where an anchor it might, might not have been MSNBC. It might have just been a, an NBC affiliate. But anyway, it was something along those lines where the anchor threw a question to him and the guy says S.H. blank F blank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did see that. Brutal. Yeah, Brutal. yeah that, that, that's a tough way to go. Um, I obviously didn't know. He didn't know he was on air there. It was kind of like uh, a yes. Tom Brenneman situation where they came yes. back and he didn't know they were already on. Yeah. Um, Mine is a Big East moment that I'm going to have to bring up. I mean, Boom Goes the Dynamite is probably the best. But it this is. is this is just an all-timer right now. This is Jim Spinarkle doing a post-game interview with former Seton Hall coach Bobby Gonzalez, okay? Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. Okay, Don, I'm going to turn it back. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. The best part is, thank you, Jimmy. Good sex in the Big East. Continued, thank you, Jimmy. Continued good sex in the Big East. You got to love you. it. And I just like the thank you, Jimmy. Like, not even giving him a look, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, no, he's looking right at him, and he's like, God, you're struggling. Why did you just double down on the sex? Like, he, he corrects himself by not saying anything else other than the word sex again. you good sex in the Big East sex in the big east yeah there are as we as you know for 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 just about all of us there's that that word that you have a hard time spelling for whatever reason and and occasionally just have a hard time saying oh i can't say the word success a lot of the time like i struggle i trip over that word a lot when i try to say it in rhythm like that when i'm doing an interview or something like that so i i feel bad for him there but the wild part is where he stops himself says continued good sex, right uh, 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 uh sex in the big east you good sex in the sex in the big east i mean that's just the correction is probably my favorite part that's, yeah, that's that, an all-timer yeah. right yeah I, I i will tell you for, there's one word that i have a hard time with and i'm a pretty good speller and i'm pretty good grammatically and i feel you know it, it's just kind of how i what i why I, I guess i got in the business i got into but for whatever reason the word similar I spell often familiar. 
like familiar. I don't know why I do it. And I catch myself doing it even as I'm doing it going, why? You know, that's not right. Yeah. But I guess your brain's just wired in a certain way. And like success, it's a weird word to say fast. And as you're trying to probably listen to a producer in your ear, say, wrap it up. And and you're trying to spill that out. And 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 yeah, then you double down on it because you, you knew you messed up the first time and it's don't mess up again. Success, 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 sex. You good sex in the sex in the big east. It, it's just, I get it. it. It's funny though. It's a good moment. Well, I'm just a dunce with rocks in my mouth from Latonia. So that's my issue. I don't <laughs> well, know. There is that. There is that. Is. Yeah. Uh, did, did you, do you have any personal moments that ever happened that you can recall? No, not off the top of my head. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure there probably was one or two somewhere along the way, but nothing that was, I guess, glaring or, or glitchy. I mean, you just always, I, I you know, uh, I've anchored a bunch and, and you just, and I, I, I read really fast. And, and so I always hope that people, on the prompter can keep up and they usually do a pretty good job. And, and that, I guess that's your fear always is man. What happens when the prompter goes and look, I can add lib highlights just fine. That part doesn't, doesn't bother me, but then, you know, where were you in the script? Um, I always appreciate those anchors that can sit at the desk and kind of flip the page just to make sure they've got it. I could never do it. I would hold my script in my hand and literally just hold it there as, as mostly just having something in my hand to hold. And if somehow that had ever gotten lost, I, I honestly don't know what I would have done. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned like, working with the prompters one thing working at 12 and watching sheila gray in action it's one of the most unbelievably skilled people oh see no question in terms no, of like no doubt you can see a a mistake in the script live as she's reading it corrected in her head and there's no like you, you never even noticed anything was wrong like a lot of other people they can correct it but you kind of you're like oh if you know what you're looking for you're like oh they had to massage that something was wrong in the script and you go back and check the script with with sheila she has to come out and tell you it was wrong because she's so polished with it you don't even know it happened it's i will say one one of the first few times i anchored and we used to we don't do this anymore all the time we used to have to record um a segment for for the morning sports after the sports cast was over so one of the first times it wasn't the very first time i did it because they i'm sure they realized i was nervous enough to, to do it and got through it but it was one of the early ones and it was funny so it's rolling through and at the end you know you have typed in there I'm Richard Skinner. That's your sports for now. Back to you or whatever. And so, of course, you know what they put in there? I'm Ron Burgundy and that's whatever. And I didn't read it that way. I read it as my name. And I, and as soon as I was done, I paused to make sure it got recorded probably. And then I go kiss my ass. <laughs> but I did, but I did think it was funny because it's like, you're trying to trip me up and you didn't get me. I'm Ron Burgundy. The thing about you though, is you're so in the flow and used to like what you're already doing. You're just saying what you're used to. Yeah. Right. You're doing right. Right. You're not but, reading. But, but it is easy to read. I mean, it's yeah. just easy to see it and, and say it. So, yeah. Oh, there's a lot good. of people that'll read whatever you put on that. Program, no doubt. Like no doubt. No yeah. doubt. All right. What is your most prized possession in your baseball card collection? Uh, a Tony Gwynn rookie card that Steve Walter from Sports Investments just gave me one day. He used to come in on, on uh, the radio when I was doing radio. He'd come in about once a month and do a segment. And uh, just a, just an extraordinarily nice man. And I always enjoyed the visits with him. And he gave me a Tony Gwynn rookie card. I whatever reason, dude, I just became a Tony Gwynn fan from, from the word jump. Maybe it's because he was fat and he could hit and I was fat and I could hit. And so that's why I, I like him. That's always why I like Tony Gwynn. And he's just a great, I, I think I've told the story of one of my geeky favorite moments as a sports writer was getting a chance to do a, a feature on him when he came to town um, later in his career. And not even late, later in his career, not late, late, but in the mid nineties, uh, my boss knew I was, I was a big fan and, and, and sent me down there to do a feature on him. And I think I told you he couldn't have been better. We spent just talking for 30 minutes, just talking, not even just a real interview. He was just fabulous. Um, so yeah, to me, that's, that's the most, I've got a bunch of cards, Rick. I got, 
I got a pretty big collection from back in the 60s. I've, I haven't priced them at any point. I don't know if they're worth a whole lot anymore. I mean, I've got a bunch of Ozzy Smith rookie cards. I got a bunch of Robin Yount rookie cards. So I've got some good rookie card values. I got a Tom Seaver rookie card. But for me, it, it's my Tony Gwynn rookie card. Not only could Tony Gwynn hit, but he was also a baller. He got buckets in college, too. Two-sport dude, dude, athlete despite it's being funny. fat. 5'11", fat point guard at San Diego State. I mean, at a pretty decent level in college. Yeah, got buckets. All right. Uh, Dan wants to know, what's the biggest dump of a sports venue at the pro college and other levels? The Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. There's not even a close second, third, or fourth. It is an absolute hole uh, i mean ju- and literally i mean that because they have sewage that occasionally backs up in that in that place um it, it's impossible to get off the interstate to park a b the press box is literally i think from 1937 where you have no room whatsoever the only cool thing about it is you know the history of the a's from back in the day like i do and the old raiders teams from back in the day like i do and you can kind of picture ken stabler playing there and reggie jackson playing there that's the only cool thing to it but the place is an absolute dump dump I know you said there is no close second, but there might is I, no close second. But might I offer up the uh, dump on our the banks of our Ohio River, the the place formerly known as U.S. Bank Arena, now I, some other sponsor. I'll be honest with you though, Rick. I, I, watching hockey in there, I enjoy it. Mm. I enjoyed watching the Stingers hockey back in the day. There was some good basketball I liked back in the day. It, it's it's not the best place, but I. I honestly don't mind it. I don't think there's a lot of bad seats. You know, I, I watched the Big East, or not a Big East tournament, back in when Xavier hosted uh, oh, one of the leagues they were in back A-10. in the Yeah, Yeah, the A-10. Yeah, yep. when John Chaney was still coaching at Temple and yep. Fran Dunphy was 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 coaching in the league too. Um, uh, yeah, to me, uh, I, no, it, 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 that is a far second if it's a second. I mean, it's way down there from the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Absolute dump. Well, You've had some unpopular opinions on, on this show before, but I think that might be the most unpopular. With okay. Locals, so I still, I've watched a lot of games there. I don't mind it as a fan. I mean, <laughs> I really don't. All right. Our guy, David wants to know, uh, he says fashion topic when skinny wears his pants or short pants, is he a pleated or flat front pants kind of guy? I think all my, I think all my shorts are flat fronts, but some of my, my, my longer pants are, are pleated. I don't mind. I like pleats. I think I said that before. I like pleats. Yeah. I can't look, I can't do the accordion over my I got to be a flat front guy. <laughs> That's just, uh, I don't know. The, the pleats is, is not my thing. Um, he also, David also wants to wear or wear is skinny's red with gray pleather sleeve Dixie Letterman jacket. Uh, actually, it was not pleather sleeved, believe it or not. It was, it was just a, a regular kind of the whole fabric was the same fabric. It's actually in a, uh, I, I've got a, um, uh, what, what would you call it? A, a, a chest, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's got a bunch of stuff from, from high school. It's got old bowling trophies and, awards and stuff and whatever other memorabilia I collected from back in the day. It, it, it's in there. Actually, uh, it's, it, it does have a nice like wrap over top of it. So it hopefully keeps the, the, the dust mites away from it. But boy, I haven't, I haven't trotted that thing out in a long, long, long. I think I, I think we were cleaning the garage one day and I opened it up to show my, my daughters, some of my past glory. They were not overly impressed, but I remember seeing it then, but boy, that's been a while. Uh, we're, are, he wants to know if Letterman jackets are still in style or not for kids. You know, I think I, I, I see some kids with them. They don't think they wear them like like back in the day. I think that kind of stopped. It feels like right around the mid to late 90s, maybe. 
I would say we are like the two pe- worst people to ask for fashion advice or what's still in style, but you do coach high school basketball. So I guess maybe yeah. you have a little bit of insight here on what I, the high school kids are yeah, wearing. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, when guys show up to, to, to games, they're wearing their travel gear. And I'm, I, you know, when I see them in school, and I don't always see them in school, sometimes we have practice after school, that's where I see them. I don't really see them wearing those. So I, I don't know if that's a thing anymore or not. My my opinion is that they'll never go out of style. Like, I think you could always wear your Letterman jacket if if you wanted to. Um, the the interesting thing for me, and not that, you know, you're going to wear it as an adult, I mean, as a high schooler. But the interesting thing for me is, you know, people sometimes pull out their Letterman jacket and do the whole, oh, you know, look how much, look how fat I've gotten since then. And it's real tight on, they <laughs> barely fit in it. Well, one, I was fat in high school. And two, it was in the like early 2000s when everyone was wearing huge baggy clothes. So my Letterman jacket is like a two X. So I <laughs> swim in it now. So if like I ever, like my kids ever want to bust it out, they're going to be like, wow, dad, you've really you've really gotten yourself into shape since those days. <laughs> you brush your kids with your Letterman jacket in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this, this guy says not a question, just. Take Jed to task for his fake spike take. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, uh, but Jed Demusi last night, uh, one of the Mac games, I'm drawing a blank on which game it even was, ended in a uh, fake spike. Yeah, it, it was. was uh, it was. It was the uh, Western. Mi- no, Western Michigan Toledo. Western Michigan Toledo. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, fake spike situation, throw a touchdown to win the game. Jed says, "Ready for this hot take? The fake spike should be outlawed." Absolute Bush League way to win a game above no! all levels. Oh, come on. No, it's not. How about, you know what, line up and play just in case? How do you know he's going to spike it? Yeah, and I saw Jed was trying so, to... So hang on. Should, should we not, like, when, when you run a double move pass, should you not pump fake? <laughs> so here's... So I did see him trying should you not to play, Hang himself. on. Should, should, should you not play action pass because you faked the run? Jed's come back to one Brad Underwood, who also works at Channel 12, says, when you call for a fair catch and run with it, it's a penalty. Quarterback yes. is sprinting to the line, indicating he's going to go down or going to go, down it. The refs had no clue what was going on. Amateur hour. He also said he has an issue with the clear indication that they were lining up to spike it. Don't do that and then not spike it. I, I mean, I don't get like he acts like the element of surprise or trick plays shouldn't be a part of sports. I don't really yeah. understand his take here. No, and, he and, and, and shame on shame on. Um... Uh, on Toledo for not covering. I mean, that guy was why there wasn't even anybody over him. Yeah. Like now I, I, I sort of see what Jed would be saying. Maybe if it's like, a, nah. no, 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 not, not in this situation, but like I could see if you're saying um, the, the quarterback going out of bounds type situation, right? Like a quarterback's running, easing up, like he's going to go out of bounds. So a linebacker doesn't hit him. And then he yes. takes off down the sideline. Like, I yes. think some of that is a little bit cheap. Like if a quarterback I do, I, I, does I do that too. and a ref, does, you know, I think they should be called down if they give themselves up like Agreed. by the sideline. But to me, as, as long as it's not like a player safety thing where you're giving the, the quarterback the benefit of the doubt because of the rules. So you're not hitting him aside from that. Anything else is fair game in terms of like trick plays or faking guys out, in my opinion. If I'm laying off you because I didn't want to hurt your Absolutely. quarterback, then that is a little bush league. But anything else is totally fair game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, honestly, shame, shame on a, a shame on them for not recovering the onside kick. I mean, Western Michigan ended up scoring what uh, two touchdowns in the last 45 seconds to come back and and win that game. Correct, so yeah. uh, you're you're allowed to recover the onside kick. You're allowed to have stopped them at some point, and you didn't. And shame on you then for basically just standing there like dopes, assuming a spike. You know what happens when you assume, Rick? You know what happens when you assume? I certainly do. All right, there you go. All right, is that it? All right, good stuff. Great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Uh, For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re-edition.